0: Hello everybody, I'm Warren Smith, coming to you this week from the site of the National Religious Broadcasters Convention in Nashville, Tennessee.
1: And I'm Christina Darnell, in this week for Natasha Smith, coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast.
0: On today's program, we talk about the pastor of one of Canada's largest churches after an investigation into sexual abuse at the church. And controversial Pastor John MacArthur is back in the news again. We have more information about how churches and ministries are helping in Ukraine and the surrounding regions as well.
1: We begin today with the National Center for Sexual Exploitation's annual Dirty Dozen list. It's a list of organizations that names 12 entities for facilitating, enabling, and even profiting from sexual abuse and exploitation.
0: Yeah, the list began in 2013, and it has served as a way to—and these are the words of the organization—call on corporations, government entities, and organizations to change problematic policies and practices. Encos, uh, the National Coalition for Sexual Exploitation, claims that the list has yielded some major victories in the past, at organizations like Google. Netflix, TikTok, Hilton Worldwide, and elsewhere. Organizations on this year's list uh, include Reddit, Meta, OnlyFans, Google, and Netflix once again. According to a statement from InCoS, for decades, thousands of families have entrusted their children's hearts, minds, and safety to Kanakuk Camps, one of the largest Christian sports camps in the country. Tragically, in a deeply troubling array of instances, the safety of children took a back seat to other considerations as years of child sexual abuse at Canacook camps have been covered up by the organization. This was and is a violation of trust and ultimately a failure of leadership.
1: Warren, you wrote this story for Ministry Watch. Yes. Did you reach out to Canacook for a response?
0: Yeah, I did reach out to Canna Cook, uh, Christina, and initially we did not get a response, but they have subsequently uh, come through with a couple of responses, and we have revised our story uh, to reflect the responses that we uh, got from them. I I think, though, that what a lot of the victims groups are saying is that the response uh, from Canna Cook, uh, which basically has been a rehearsal, um, kind of a repeat of the changes that they have made over the last few years, really doesn't address the central issues that the victims of Canna Cook the survivors and their families really want, which is for the organization to release victims from non-disclosure agreements that they were forced to sign, and candidly for a resignation of those who are in leadership now that were all who were also in leadership then. I think really, honestly, until we get that kind of a response, the victims groups, the survivor groups and their families are probably not going to be satisfied.
1: Well, our next story involves well-known but controversial pastor John MacArthur,
0: Yeah, a former member of John MacArthur's megachurch out in California says that she was publicly shamed by the pastor in 2002 for her decision to leave her abusive husband and defy church counsel. The church counsel was that she should stay married to this man. That, according to the Roy's report, who originally broke this story.
1: Well, MacArthur, who leads Grace Community Church in Sun Valley, California, told his congregation in a sermon that it was necessary for him to call out Eileen Gray, who had rejected the church elder's direction to reconcile with her husband, who was a former children's music and Bible teacher at the church, because the church, quote, bears responsibility before God to be the instrument of discipline.
0: Now, again, this happened 20 years ago, and a big part of me, Christina, wanted to ignore this story. Anytime a family disintegrates for any reason, of course, that is a tragic story, but it's not necessarily news, especially when it happened 20 years ago. But in this case, the husband, David Gray, was subsequently convicted a few years later in 2005 of aggravated child molestation station corporal injury of a child child abuse and is currently serving 21 years to life in a California prison.
1: And those facts certainly change the significance of the story, but again, even these events happened more than 15 years ago. So why is this a story now?
0: Well, for several reasons. One is that Julie Royce at the Royce Report recently uncovered videos and documents and connected them, uh, in an article that, that really does connect the dots of this story for the first time. Secondly, she was able to do this story only because Eileen Gray, uh, the wife of David Gray, who was eventually convicted, is speaking publicly and doing so for the first time. Uh, She said that she did not speak out before because she feared repercussions against her and her children, who are now adults. And I think it's fair to say that in this cultural environment, things have shifted. Uh, I don't think most of the cultural changes that we've seen over the past 20 years have been positive, but some have. And in my view, one of the changes that has been good has been an increasing concern about sexual abuse, which means an increasing concern for the victims of abuse and a zero-tolerance approach for predators and their enablers. Now, I know because we've been covering a lot of these kinds of stories over the past two years that facing this history can be troubling and painful, but it is necessary if the church is going to have any credibility when it takes the gospel to the world, a gospel that says, at least in part, that we should be champions for the least and the lost.
1: Warren, let's look at one more story before the break. The pastor of one of Canada's largest churches was forced to resign after an independent investigation found evidence of his sexual misconduct.
0: Yeah, the pastor's name is Bruxy Cavey. Who uh, grew the Meeting House Church into a mega church with some 5,000 people uh, attending every Sunday on 19 campuses throughout the Toronto uh, metropolitan area? He was accused of sexual misconduct by a woman who reported it to the church's Overseer's Board or Board of Directors back in December. And we reported on that part of the story back then. Now, an independent investigation has been completed, and the Overseer's Board of the church said this, and I'm quoting now. Have Having carefully reviewed the investigator's report, our board unanimously decided to ask Bruxy to resign from his role at the Meeting House effective immediately. Bruxy then submitted his resignation on March 3rd, which the overseers then accepted. I should add that also on Monday, a teaching pastor at the church, Danielle Strickland, tweeted that she too was resigning from the church in solidarity with the victim of abuse.
1: Well, Warren, we need to take a break. But when we return, more information about how churches and ministries are helping in Ukraine. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello,
2: everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SaveTheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Up next, the story we promised before the break. More information about ministries who are doing work in and around Ukraine.
0: Well, in the depths of the Cold War, Christina, the Soviet Army put down a revolt in Hungary in 1956. I was not born then, but I actually had friends when I was a child who lived through that revolt, and it was a pretty terrible suppression. The next year, the Soviets launched Sputnik, the world's first satellite. Just a couple of years after that, in 1961, seven young couples from Abilene Christian University in Texas told their concerned loved ones not to worry, but nonetheless said farewell and moved to Vienna, Austria to set up a printing press that would churn out tiny Bibles, Bibles that in some cases were as small as a pack of cigarettes, small enough, in fact, to be snuck into uh, the uh, Soviet-controlled areas behind the Iron Curtain.
1: The work was soon called Eastern European Mission, and its mission is simple. And I'm quoting We share God's word with the people of Eastern Europe and beyond, and seek to educate and inspire God's servants in this work.
0: Now, by February of 2022, Uh, Eastern European Mission's Vienta Printing Press was publishing and printing Bibles in 23 different languages, including Farsi and Arabic. Now, those are Middle Eastern languages, but they're spoken widely in parts of Eastern Europe. And they were distributing them through partners in more than 30 countries. Uh, EEM's directors in Russia and Ukraine had helped distribute more than 2 million Bibles to public schools, many of which offer biblical electives. And Bibles were also distributed throughout hospitals and orphanages.
1: But now that Russia has invaded Ukraine, EEM is working with its longtime partners in the area to deliver emergency aid.
0: Yeah, they've made a pretty radical pivot in the just in the last few months. The ministry is now accepting donations to provide women and children fleeing. Uh, war in Ukraine for, for with medical care, food, clothing, shelter, and other necessities. This is the first time uh, that EEM has sought funds for emergency relief, and the ministry says that it's going to send 100% of the funds that it release, receives as a part of this effort uh, straight through to donations without any overhead or processing fees being assigned to these uh, activities.
1: Well, and EEM isn't the only organization that's pivoted to provide humanitarian relief to the Ukrainian refugees.
0: Yeah, that's right. In a normal week, uh, the 655 people who work with Greater Europe Mission, GEM, would be engaged in evangelism, discipleship, biblical education, and church planting, only 10 Of those workers would be ministering to refugees, but nothing has been normal since Russia invaded Ukraine and now uh, GEM or GEM with its U.S. base in Colorado, right outside of Colorado Springs, is pivoting to protect its endangered workers and shift resources to deliver humanitarian aid and spiritual support to the estimated four to seven million Ukrainians who may become refugees as a result of Russia's unprovoked attack.
1: Well, in greater Europe does have previous experience working with refugees.
0: Yeah, it sure does. It was founded in 1944 by Bob Evans, who was a U.S. military chaplain. Um, GEM never engaged in ministry to refugees, though, until 2015, when Syria's war destabilized that region, causing a flood of immigrants into Europe. The crisis was um, captured in images of bodies washing up on the shores of the Greek island of Lesbos, including a young child in a red sweater that I know many of our listeners are probably going to remember. In 2016, Sixteen, Jim uh, Greater Europe Mission uh, created Refuge, which is a division focusing just on immigrants like this. Uh, now that team will be leading uh, Jim's efforts in the Republic of Moldova, Poland. Czech Republic and Hungary the countries that immediately surround Ukraine. So and I should add here that that this work both of Greater Europe Mission and the Eastern Europe Mission satisfy a couple of requirements that I encourage donors to look for when deciding to give. Number 1 is they have a track record, a long track record of good management. Both of these organizations have been around for decades and secondly While they have had to pivot from discipleship materials to food, they do have boots on the ground. They have a distribution system already in place. They're not inventing it from scratch. Um, For Greater Europe Mission and for Eastern Europe Mission, the answers to both of these questions, uh, do they have a long presence in the area and do they have infrastructure boots on the ground? The answer is yes.
1: And the same with Samaritan's Purse.
0: Yeah, that's right. Samaritan's Purse. We've talked about them for the last couple of weeks as this Ukraine story has been heating up. Uh, Samaritan's Purse, of course, the large humanitarian uh, relief organizations based here in North Carolina, or I should say here, I'm in Nashville, but where you are in North Carolina, is also setting up an emergency field hospital in an underground parking garage in the western Ukrainian city of Lviv in order to provide medical aid To those that are besieged. So they're actually in Ukraine itself in an underground facility, which is pretty remarkable. Samaritan's Per said that it already has close to 100 medical and logistical workers in Ukraine, Poland, Romania, and Moldova with more on the way. And let me add, uh, Christina, before we leave this topic, that last week I mentioned to you an article that I wrote that included short profiles of not just the ministries that we've talked about today, but others that we knew were doing work in Ukraine. Uh, We've updated that list to include more ministries, and I plan to add yet more in the weeks ahead, so check back regularly, and you can find that article by going to the Ministry Watch website and typing Ukraine into the search engine.
1: Warren, let's take another break, and when we return, our weekly lightning round of ministry news of the week. I'm Christina Darnell with my co-host, Warren Smith. More in a moment.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. That's SavetheStorks.com.
1: Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Warren, we like to use this last segment as a sort of lightning round of shorter news briefs. So what is up First.
0: Yeah, a network known for prosperity gospel televangelists, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, has made a bid for respectability in recent years by getting rid of most of its more egregious preachers and adding more mainstream folks like Andy Stanley, Max Lucado, and Rick Warren. And now it plans to get into the news business. TBN plans to preview Centerpoint, which is Building itself as a source for current affairs from a Christian worldview. It'll debut on March 25th at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. The show's regular time slot though will be 7:30. Eastern Time on weekdays, and it'll be replayed at 10:30 for West Coast audiences. Center Point will be hosted by Doug McKelway, who is a 40-year veteran of the news business and a former Washington DC. correspondent for Fox News and co-hosted by journalist Belinda Lane.:
1: And what's next?
0: Well, the United Methodist Church has delayed once again its general conference meeting, and, and I said once again it's a third time, uh, due to continuing COVID-19 concerns. In response, though, some conservative United Methodists have announced that they will preemptively leave the denomination rather than wait for the long-anticipated meeting, now delayed yet again.
1: Delegates to the general conference were expected to take up a proposal to split the nomination over disagreements on biblical sexuality at the meeting of its global decision-making body, which was scheduled for August 29th to September 6th in Minneapolis.
0: Yeah, but the general conference organizers announced on Thursday, Thursday of last week, I should say, that they were planning Uh, to postpone the meeting to 2024 because of COVID-19. Some conservatives, though, think that the denomination is slow-walking the decision and, and decided not to wait for what they believe is an inevitable consequence, which is the splitting of the United Methodist Church into two or more denominations.
1: And then what do we have this week in Ministries Making a Difference?
0: Well, Christina, honestly, nobody knows that better than you. This is sort of your baby. So why don't you tell us who you featured this week?
1: Sure. First, uh, we have the Church of Christ nonprofit, the Bread of Life Humanitarian Effort. And they are partnering with local area churches in Mayfield, Kentucky. And they're building 30 tiny homes for displaced residents after that tornado leveled their community last year in December. Each home will be about 500 square feet, and they'll have a kitchen, a bathroom, and two bedrooms. And then we have Alive in Christ, which is an Assemblies of God ministry. It's based in Boston, and they offer mentorship and training for people who are impacted by same-sex attraction and gender dysphoria. And that includes strugglers, family members, pastors, and church leadership. They put out an annual report for 2021, and they shared that they held 27 one-on-one mentoring sessions. They led 77 support group gatherings, hosted 23 equipping meetings, and taught 10 training sessions. And that was during the pandemic. And the training sessions were how to love well those who identify as LGBTQ plus without compromising the gospel.
0: Hmm, yeah. And Christina, if you'll let me step in here, you also featured the Slavic Gospel Association, or SGA, which is partnering with hundreds of churches in Ukraine and surrounding countries to help Ukrainian refugees. I wanted to jump in because, as you know, and I mentioned at the top of the program, I'm here at Religious National Religious Broadcasters in Nashville and had the opportunity to sit down with Michael Johnson, who is the president of Slavic Gospel Association. We'll be bringing you my interview with him on one of our Ministry Watch Extra episodes of this podcast in the next couple of weeks.
1: Warren, any final thoughts before we go?
0: Well, just a quick reminder that uh, your ministry's Making a Difference column is made up of information that we mostly get from readers and listeners. They send us news tips. Sometimes we get press releases from the ministries themselves, emails, and other links. And you, Christina, sort of chase all that stuff down, provide the details, and give it a little bit of a journalistic flair, shall we say. And that's how we get lots of other stories that we do here at Ministry Watch as well.
1: Yes. So if you have a story that you'd like us to cover or a ministry that you think needs a closer look, please email us. Our email is info at Yeah,
0: that will come directly to my desk. That email will, and we'll take it from there. Also a reminder that you can help this program by leaving us a rating on your podcast app. The more ratings we get, the easier it is for us uh, to be found by others. It's a quick, easy, and I should add, free way that you can ex- support this program in a very important way.
1: The producers for today's program are Rich Rosal and Ben Warwick. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, Emily Kern, Rod Pitzer, and Casey Sedith. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Steich, Steve Raby, Yonat Shimron, and you, Warren. Special thanks to the Gazette in Colorado for contributing material for this week's podcast. I'm Christina Darnell, in for Natasha Smith this week in Charlotte, North Carolina.
0: And I'm Warren Smith coming to you, as I said, this week from Nashville, Tennessee, the site of the annual meeting of the National Religious Broadcasters.
1: You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, thank God bless you.